You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1170 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast. Please take a second if you've already listened to the podcast, or if you're a new listener, even you're invited to do this as well. Please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or somewhere else. And again, make us your first listen each and every day on the Lots on Hawks podcast. With that said, we'll get into what became a 106-100 loss for the Hawks on this Monday into Tuesday. The winning streak is now over at 7. It came very close to making it 8 and getting back to 500 for the season, but a back-and-forth game did not go the Hawks' way, thanks in part to a pretty bad third quarter and then some catch-up in the fourth. They almost got over the hump, but not quite there. Uh, Beyond the result on the floor, the headliner of the evening is the absence of Trey Young which kind of explains a little bit of the offensive funk that the Hawks were in in this game without their best player, especially on the offensive end of the floor. But Trey missed this game with a with a shoulder issue, and uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed for him to be returning to action on Thursday. But uh, that's kind of the uh, the broad strokes of this one for Atlanta. A winnable game, not a disastrous loss by any means. Toronto is a is a frisky team, and the Hawks um, you know had a rest uh, a rest of uh, disadvantage technically on a back to back as well. So um, without Trey, the Hawks were underdogs in this game. Keep that in mind as well. And it wasn't the most pleasing result, but it wasn't a disaster either. So we'll dive into all that stuff now. Um, again, I mentioned a second ago, but the pregame situation was the Raptors were beaten up in terms of their last game was on Saturday, so they had a day off on Sunday. They actually played triple overtime, and they are not deep. In this game, they basically played seven guys in the second half, so Toronto is not very deep at all. But the Hawks were running back-to-back, a true back-to-back, and then, of course, without Trey. Uh, Trey was listed as questionable with a right shoulder contusion. He came out to warm up before the game, um, did not do his form- his normal warm-up. It was very, very short. It was even covered on the broadcast, etc. Um, he just did not spend much time there, was clearly not able to go. McMillan was asked after the game about that and just kind of said he wasn't feeling good enough to go, which makes a lot of sense. Um, we'll see. I think that one, that one thing I'm very sure of is that Trey Young had to be in some serious discomfort to not play. He is someone that always wants to play and is very durable. And, uh, you know, this is his first injury-related absence of the season. He missed those games with uh, with COVID. But he's been really at, really durable over his career. So it's a it's a question mark for sure. People were kind of speculating that he might have gotten injured on that uh, first half play where he kind of leaned into Anthony Davis against the Lakers. I'm not sure about that. That's, it does make some sense if you watch the playback. But um, – McMillan was seeming kind of a beat about Trey's injury, but clearly they're going to have that be looked at in the next couple of days, and we'll see what happens between now and the game on Thursday. Um, elsewhere, DeAndre Hunter was listed as probable, ended up playing in this game with the right ankle issue that kept him on the injury report on Sunday as well. They started DeLon Wright in Trey's place. That's what, the, what they've been doing this year when Trey's been out of the lineup. That makes some sense, uh, kind of not having to overdo it with Lou Williams, etc. And, they, you know, the Hawks have been playing 10 guys, and they played nine in this game. You know, nine is plenty. Uh, the Raptors played seven in the second half, for instance. So uh, the Hawks were obviously shorthanded without Trey, but they didn't have to go deep into their bench. They played the same guys they've been playing um, recently, just kind of one less, even if it's obviously the number one domino in the middle there. Um, on the Raptors side, only Kem Birch was out among the rotation guys, so they were the healthier team given the uh, the absence of Trey for Atlanta. Our friends at BattleLine.net have the Hawks as uh, two-point favorites in the morning, actually, before the injury report came out because it was back-to-back. Injury report didn't come out until midday, and then when Trey was out, it swung all the way to the Raptors being favored by like two and a half, even three in some spots. So the Hawks were underdogs even at home uh, at tip-off, and that made sense, obviously. Um, I think that's, you know, the Hawks – could have won this game very easily if they had kind of 
a few more plays go their way. Third quarter was a kind of a disaster, which we'll get to in a second. But um, not a game in which the Hawks should be embarrassed to lose, particularly without Trey. Um, you know, I don't, I don't always use this as a barometer, but usually the betting line and the betting market is a pretty good indicator of expectations in some respects. That's why I reference it quite as much on this podcast. And the Hawks being underdogs does kind of tell you what the expectation was in a game without Trey. Anyway, we'll dive into the game now. Um, it was a lot of runs, let's just say, in the first half. Uh, I've made fun of the game of runs concept, but uh, it was basically an entire first half of runs on both sides of the floor. Um, I wouldn't necessarily play, say the Raptors play small ball because they do have some size at various positions, but they don't really play a lot of true centers. In fact, in this game, the only guy you could say is a center size player is Chris Boucher, and even he, even he is an undersized center. He's closer to a center, but they start... Siakam, Ananobi, and Scotty Barnes, all of which are like combo forwards, basically. So they play physical, but they're not very big. And that kind of made the Hawks have some interesting decisions to make in this game. Uh, Capella had to guard one of those guys at all times. They actually went very small in the fourth quarter with the Kongwu again. Um, and that made sense. It's a pretty tough matchup for Capella, although I thought he played well in this game. Uh, just a weird matchup all the way around for Toronto from from their defense to their offensive rebounding to their three-point shooting to their lack of two-point shooting, all that fun stuff. It was a strange matchup to see the Raptors, who play uh, very creatively. Um, I will say the Hawks did start a little bit slowly. They actually did not score the first three, three possessions of the game, and the Raptors led 6 nothing. Then the first run for the Hawks came with an 11-2 push. They got some fouls on Siakam, who got a technical foul as well. The Hawks did have some turnover issues in the first um, few minutes. And Toronto, by the way, I think is number two in the, in the NBA in creating turnovers, so not a huge surprise there on defense, but then as soon as the Hawks took the lead, the Raptors had an 8-0 run. They come right back. So again, lots of runs throughout this first half. Um, rotationally, like I said before, it was basically the same rotation the Hawks have been playing just without Trey, and the way that they kind of counteracted that by not playing the full bench unit was to use Kevin Herter as the bridge guy. Um, so they kind of took him out early for McDonavich, then brought Herter back in to play him alongside the uh, the Lou Williams lineup off the bench uh, with Gallinari um, and McDonavich on the wing. Um, I didn't necessarily like hate that. I thought it was probably the right the right thing to do. Um, but the Hawks are kind of married to those uh, to those units. Probably a little bit too much for my liking, but it did work out okay in this game for the most part rotationally. Um, the Raptors didn't play as many guys in the second half, but they sorry the first half. Uh, sorry, I should say second half. They played nine guys in the first half. It was the they kind of shortened things up from there. Um, it was kind of an ugly first quarter. The, the runs were what they were, but it was a pretty much a stalemate. It was 25-24 in favor of the Raptors. Um, both teams scored under point per possession in the first quarter. The Hawks got to the line a lot. They actually took 11 free throws in the first half, in uh, the first quarter, I should say. And that went away from there, but it was actually part of their effectiveness in the opening period. But the Raptors were held in check for the most part, and uh, that was the case for a lot of this game. I thought defensively the Hawks were pretty frisky for the most part. We'll get into that later on as well. Um, in the second, it was more of the same with the bench. It was Herter plus bench to start the second quarter, and the Hawks had a good run early, a 9-0 push for Atlanta. Again, continuing the uh, theme of the game of runs in the first half. Lou had a block shot, which is uh, not something you see every day, and the Raptors missed a dunk along the way as well, so some back-and-forth sloppy play from the two teams. Herter was red hot, by the way. He made his first four shots, and then actually that became six, seven shots in a row in the first half. And then Toronto had another run. It was 10-2 to two to go up uh, by one very briefly late in, the, late in the first half. And they started getting offensive rebounds that were uh, kind of backbreaking in some respects. And then, finally, the Hawks answer with a 12-2 run at the end of the half to close the half to go up by nine. So, in quick summation here, the entire first half, uh, it's not the entire first half, but most of the first half was covered by this. The Hawks had a 6-0 run. Raptors, uh, sorry, Raptors 6-0 run. Hawks 11-2 run. Raptors 8-0 run. Hawks 9-0 run, Raptors 10-2 run, and Hawks 
12-2 run. So, kind of a crazy back and forth first half. The result was positive, though, for Atlanta up by nine at the break. And considering where they were and without Trey and all that stuff, that felt very, very nice. And offensively, it was very good in the second quarter. A lot of that was Kevin Herter, who made all five of his shots for 13 points. In the first half, he had 16 points on six shot attempts. That's usually pretty good. And the Hawks had a 112 offensive rating, which isn't fantastic, but given how they were in the first quarter and the second quarter, in the second half, I should say, the second quarter was kind of the outlier good one in this game. Um, but they did not do very much at all on the margins. The Hawks shot the ball pretty well, especially in the first half, but the other stuff did not really happen. On the glass and the turnover battle, where the Hawks are usually pretty good, they were not good in this game. They did hold the Raptors in check in the first half and really throughout the game, other than the third quarter, which we'll get to in a second. But the Hawks were in good shape at the end of the first half, up by nine and feeling pretty good. And things spiraled from there, which we'll get into in a second. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is TurboTax. People think that unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes, but for TurboTax Live experts, that is what makes things interesting. We all have unique lives, whether you're invested in crypto for the first time this year, or if you own an up-and-coming small business, or if you're raising rambunctious twins. Luckily, TurboTax Live has experts who can answer all of your tax questions, walk through the entire process, or do your taxes for you from start to finish. They help you get every deduction that you deserve, no matter your unique situation, and you can talk to a TurboTax Live expert through your phone or your computer without leaving your house. TurboTax Live experts are always here to help you however you need, and if you need an extra hand, hand your taxes off to them, and they'll do the entire thing for you. For TurboTax Live experts, interesting life can mean even greater refund. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing, they've got your taxes, and to it, TurboTax Live. Today's show is also brought to you by RockAuto.com. Have you ever gone to a chain store looking for auto parts that fit your car? Is it maddening? Because it is for me. I know it has been in the past and it will be if I ever try that again. But frankly, I don't ever need to do that again because of rockauto.com. Rock Auto has been serving auto parts customers for 20 years at this point in time. And you could save time and money when you use Rock Auto. They have all kinds of auto parts that will fit your lifestyle, fit your preferences and the best part is you don't have to endure the pointless questioning from someone behind the counter who's only looking to sell you the one part or one kind of part that they have in their warehouse. RockAuto.com has everything you could possibly need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. And honestly, the prices are always reliably low for every customer and they really serve the do-it-yourselfer very, very effectively. You can go explore their website right now. It's very easy to use. You can find a solution to your auto parts needs in one place. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, so from there, a lot of focus will be on the, on the close to this game, and that's the case for any NBA game that is close. There'll be a focus people in fresh people's minds about the fourth quarter and what didn't happen and what did happen. We'll come back to that in a second. But for me, the Hawks lost this game in the opening minutes of the third quarter. That's where I would circle. If you watch it back, it was probably their worst stretch in a long time. In fact, it definitely was their worst stretch in this entire winning streak. Um, and it was pretty rough. Um, really the entire quarter, but especially at the beginning of the quarter, um, the Hawks did score first. Nobody scored actually in the first like minute and a half, two minutes of the entire period. The Hawks did score first briefly, going up by 11 points, and then Toronto scored the first, scored the next 10. The Hawks opened one of eight from the floor with three turnovers in the third quarter. It was pretty sloppy. It was stagnant. It was ugly offense, and then it became a 15 to two overall run by the Raptors to go from down 11 to up by two. The lead was gone at that point. Now the Hawks did lead again in the game, but that's when the control was gone for Atlanta. 
in the third quarter. Um, Collins had a rough one throughout. He was scuffling. They noticed we missed Trey Young in a big way. Um, that's pretty obvious, but they had no really coherent play offensively with the starters or the bench in the third quarter. It was not only the starters. Like in some of these games recently, it's been the bench kind of carrying them at times. In this game, at least in the third quarter, it was kind of equal opportunity, poor play on offense. Um, and just for the record, the Hawks scored four points in more than six minutes to begin the third quarter. That's really, really untenable for the most part. They brought in the bench, and it didn't really do too much to save them, to be honest with you. They gave a pretty silly take foul. It was DeAndre Hunter while in the bonus to give them free throws. Now, actually, um, it was right before timeout, and Nate was pretty visibly um, displeased with that decision. Uh, they actually got bailed out by Gary Trent, who was uh, good in this game, but he actually missed both free, both free throws at that point, so it wasn't, a, uh, it wasn't a huge loss. But the Raptors then kicked it up one more time at the end of the period with, a, with an 11-2 run after the Hawks briefly retook the lead by one, and the Hawks went down by eight late in the fourth. Sorry, late in the third. Uh, it was a horrific quarter overall, as I sort of alluded to, and it's not going to go with the numbers are pretty ugly, let's be honest. Um, 15 points. They shot 7 of 21 from the floor, which is 33%. That's very bad. 1 of 8 from 3. That speaks for itself. And 7 turnovers in the period. Now, as an example, the Hawks average about 12 per game. And the Hawks are great at, turns, at not turning the ball over. They're actually number 1, number 2, depending on where you look, in turnover rate slash turnovers per game. But 7 is more than half of their average for a full game. That came in one quarter. That is uh, kind of bad, especially when you're also shooting the ball poorly. So that's how you score 15 points in a quarter and how you give up uh, a lead in the process. The Raptors did shoot it well. They hit five threes in the period. That was enough to already outscore the Hawks. It was 32-15 to 15 overall in the third. Um, down to, by the way, the Hawks were down to a 93 offensive rating through three quarters. And because they were at 112 through the first half, that kind of tells you that, like, I think they scored something like 0.7 points per possession in the third quarter. That is really, really bad. And that tells you kind of what you want to see, um, when, well, I guess what you, what you don't want to see for the most part for the Hawks offense. Um, in the fourth, it was better. In fact, the Hawks won the fourth quarter of this game, but the damage, and the damage was kind of done. So we'll get into this now, but not a ton of rhythm early. It was kind of disjointed play by both teams. There was a nice swing in the Hawks' favor with a huge block by Okongwu who kind of just swallowed up Gary Trent at the rim. And then Herter hit a three. He had been unconscious the entire game, basically. They kind of fell out some more offense, finally, in the fourth, but the Raptors were making shots as well. They had some pretty bad defense on Van Vliet a couple times where they kind of lost him for a pull-up three, and then he made a pretty contested one, too. They were hot from three the entire game between Van Vliet and Trent in particular. Um, Bogdanovich had a pretty brutal call uh, defensively against Scotty Barnes. Nate almost challenged, it looked like, but he was pretty upset about that. It ended up being a stop, so it didn't like, damage anything too badly. That was one of the weird calls in this game. I didn't think it was like horrific officiating, but it was pretty uh, sketchy at times, let's just say. Um, Herter got fouled on a three, um, sort of with like, I don't know, eight minutes to go in the, in the fourth quarter. And before that, the Hawks hadn't had a free throw attempt in almost 17 minutes. That's just kind of weird and uh, outlier after they got the line a ton in the first quarter. They got it within one, and then with about five minutes to go, and that's as close as they got in retrospect. So there was one a couple times later on as well, um, briefly, but they never got over the hump down the stretch of this game. After a three by Toronto, it was timeout by, by the Raptors with like four minutes to go, and the Hawks down by four. And it was not a good Collins game at that point. I thought they probably should have brought him back, and they finally did. He sat for like 14 minutes, which is a long time, uh, but Gallinari was not really doing him anything either. So um, lineup-wise, you know, the Hawks didn't have a ton of options in this game. I would have gone back to Capella at some point because I thought he was pretty good in this game, but Collins was also playing well in the fourth quarter, so what are you going to do? Um, out of a timeout, they got a stop, and then Collins got an easy bucket with some good ball movement, and a nice pass by, by Kongwu to Collins, by the way, to cut the lead down to two. And then after another stop, the Hawks had the ball with down by two, and Nate called this very strange timeout at the three-minute mark. Now, I think it was because it was a user to lose it, so he used it, and 
it was right before three minute mark, so that's what it was. But it was kind of a transition opportunity too, so I'm not sure if you want to draw something up. And in retrospect, they didn't score in that possession, so that kind of makes it look a little bit worse. It wasn't as bad as it might have felt in the moment about how strange it was, but alas, it was a good minute between the four minute mark and three minute mark. <laughs> they, cut, they cut the lead down uh, from four to two and had the ball. But they missed out of a timeout. There was some good, actually good defensive play by Kongwu after that break. But Siakam managed to score over him, kind of threw him on that play. Nothing that Akongo really could have done, but a, a tough shot that he made. He's, you know, he's an all-star player. Um, and then they had kind of a broken possession, a nice pass by Collins, though, at the end of, at the, end of the shot clock. And Bogdanovich hits a huge three to cut, to cut the lead from four down to one. So, again, the Hawks back within one again. But Trent comes down, hits a three of his own, and it's back to four. That was his ninth three of the game, by the way, for Gary Trent Jr. And it was pretty, pretty contested, honestly. They fouled, um, Siakam actually was called for a foul, Nurse challenged it, it was a weird, bad challenge, kind of a no-chancer from Nurse, but they lost that, but it wasn't a shooting foul, so the Hawks had the ball out on the side, um, Hunter got blocked by, by an Ananobi, but it, came, but it went out of bounds, giving the Hawks another ATO, and they ran a great curl for Bogdanovich into the corner, he catches, he shoots, he makes, and it's the second, second huge three in the last couple of minutes to get the lead again from four down to one. Um, they finally got a stop from there, so they got the ball back. Down by one, and then Hunter, this is the one time the Hawks had a, had a real chance to take the lead in the closing minutes. Hunter got to a pretty decent look, uh, kind of a pull-up, I don't know, 10-footer that he just kind of that he just missed. It wasn't a bad shot. Um, probably not the, not the best process in the world, given the way that Hunter had not been doing too much offensively. But if you look at the, just the look itself, that's a shot that's going to go in, you know, mid-40s, maybe high-40s percent of the time. That's a pretty good look when you factor that in, plus offensive rebounding. So, I didn't have a huge issue with it. People were kind of going back and forth on that. I understand all all sides there. I think it was not a great shot, but also it wasn't a bad shot either. And he got he got a, he got a good look look up at the rim. Just didn't just didn't fall. And then uh, from there, Hawks still down by one. Uh, they had a pretty bad breakdown defensively. Uh, Van Vliet kind of got past um, Akongwu at the top. They kind of lost Ananobi. They helped off the strong side, which was, I think, Hunter's responsibility. They broke down. You know, you, you could say, if you watch the film, like that's what the Hawks would normally want to do. You don't want to give up um, the middle to a guard. But in this circumstance, with Toronto in particular, with Van Vliet in particular, it's tough to kind of say, these guys are not robots. It's tough to kind of point that out. But Van Vliet is someone that you don't want to help uh, on when he's driving because he's not a great he's not a great finisher. And then you're also left the strong side corner, Ananobi, on a wide open three. So that was kind of a breakdown. He made the shot, and the Hawks got down by four. So that was the sequence of the game. If you want, to, if you want to circle just one sequence of the entire night, it was that Hunter miss followed by a breakdown and open three. That's a five point swing. You go from maybe being, maybe being up by one to be down by four, and it wasn't over at that point. But that was a pretty pretty tough one. They had to foul. Um, now I will say Siakam left the door open a little bit by missing both free throws with 14 seconds to go. But um, they ran this play, actually. Uh, Glenn Willis broke it down on Twitter. Um, it, it ended up with Collins, but it was pretty clearly not designed to go to Collins. Like, he was one of the options, but if you watch the playback, and I would, again, check out Glenn's timeline for the videos. This is obviously a, uh, an audio podcast. But, um, you know, it, I had no problem with Collins being in the game. I had no problem with him shooting. He did not have a good game overall. He did not shoot the ball well. And he's been kind of in a funk from three, but um, I'll just say this. No NBA team is going to make substitutions based on who's been shooting well the last six games. And from there, the Hawks don't really have a ton of guys who you would say are better shooters. Like, obviously, you want a three there down by four. You kind of need a three. But given who was available and who wasn't available for the Hawks, like, maybe you could have gone to Lou Williams. But other than that, um, there wasn't anybody that's a better shooter than John. Like, you want to play – he's one of your better shooters at that point in time. You're not going to play Capella. You're not going to play DeLon Wright. You're not going to play um, a Kongwu in that spot and try to get a three. So basically they did what they had to do and it just, it just didn't fall. And by the way, even if you make that shot there, you're still an underdog because you're down by four. 
Anyway, that was the end of that, and the Hawks go down um, by a narrow margin in this spot. So we have plenty to get into in terms of takeaways from this game, but uh, overall, the second half was particularly gross. We'll get into takeaways overall in a second, but they shot 39% from the floor with eight turnovers in the second half with only three attempts at the free throw line. That is uh, not going to get it done. In the fourth quarter alone, I mean, third quarter alone, which we talked about earlier with these 15 points. So combining those two things, the Hawks put up only 43 points in the second half. That's not going to get you beat on its own. But the third quarter, again, was what I am circling as the biggest swing away from the Hawks in this game. Uh, Before we get into some final takeaways in terms of numbers on both sides of the floor and some player observations in this game, a word from our sponsors on the show, and the first of which is BetOnline. There might be less football played this time of year, but BetOnline.net has way more odds and info for this playoff season. From scores, totals, player performance props, everything else that you might want to see on the field, and also where the next head coach that might be fired is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And from there, it's not just football, BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, auto racing, golf, tennis, and much more. They have all the odds and all the coverage that is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline has your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play all of your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. So we got in the second half earlier before the break about how bad the offense was at times and I want to say again, it's not hugely surprising that the Hawks were not good off offense in this game. If you remove Trey Young, it's been an issue for a long time. And Toronto is pretty frisky defensively. They do play an interesting style. They're well coached, etc. So I'm not going to tell you that I'm shocked or overwhelmed by the Hawks being a little bit shaky to bad on offense at times in this game. But for the game, they had a 102 offensive rating. That is below what I would have thought. Um, even without Trey, you have to get a little bit higher than that um, on a on a broad strokes level. In the first half, they were better than that. It's just the second half, they weren't, especially in the third quarter. Um, they actually shot the ball, I would say, well, at least okay. Um, 57% true shooting for the game is enough. That's about what the Hawks average. So it was the other stuff. It wasn't necessarily the shooting that was the problem. And they shot well in mid-range as well. They were 17 of 34 on non-paint two. So basically any shot from like four feet to 23 feet, they shot 50%. And that's above what you'd expect for the Hawks. So they had a lot of shots go in. Herder was obviously out of his mind in this game for one. Um, That's A-plus stuff. But the free throw line deserted them. They got 11 shots at, at the line in the first quarter and five the rest of the game. Now, 16 for the game is not, like, embarrassingly low. That's below their average, but not by a ton. But the rest of the game, um, that kind of shows up in a lot of the uh, observations if you want to watch the game back. Also, the turnovers were uncharacteristically high for the Hawks in this game. To lose a turnover battle pretty sharply to a team in Toronto is not exactly known for ball security. Um, 15 turnovers in the game for Atlanta is way, way, way too many for this Hawks team. Now, it's not, again, that's not even embarrassing high, uh, embarrassing high, they average like 12. If they turned the, turn the ball over 20 times, it would have been one thing, but you couldn't afford that without Trey. And then offensive rebounding was also not a huge thing for the Hawks. Now, granted, they did a good job on the defensive glass, which is actually more important. I think, you know, Toronto makes a lot of their bones offensively this season. They are top three in the league on the offensive glass. Um, so they neutralized that. That was a positive. But the Raptors are pretty bad on the defensive glass, and the Hawks did not take advantage of that whatsoever. That's a little bit. A little bit of that's come that comes from playing smaller than usual against Toronto. But still, that was a weakness. So, if I tell you coming into the day that the Hawks are going to have a fifty percent, forty-seven percent true shooting mark, and shoot that well on mid-rangers, uh, I would tell you they're going to score a lot more than one hundred two points per hundred possessions, and uh, a lot more than one hundred points in the game against Toronto. It was just everything else not. Did not go their way in this game. So uh, defensively, 
I thought they did a pretty good job overall, except the third quarter. Now, the third quarter was what I've circled before. On this podcast, it was definitely the roughest part of the night on both ends of the floor, especially offensively, but even defensively, it was not their best work. But for the game, they allowed about 109 points per 100 possessions. That is a league average mark, and the Hawks would take that all day long. Um, you know, without Trey, weirdly, they are better defensively. So um, other than when lose on the floor, they have a lot of better defenders. So you would say, like, look, the, the game plan, and this has been the case forever. Like, I'll know this now. The Hawks have always been better. It's still a small sample size, but even dating back to when they were bad, um, when Trey is out for the game, the Hawks generally do a better job playing without him than when he actually has to sit in the middle of the game. For whatever reason, it's anecdotal, but it's also backed up in the numbers. They've had some memorable wins, with like Brandon Goodwin leading the, leading the team and all that stuff. They're not better without him, for sure. But it's like when you can plan and know that he's not there, it's a little bit easier. But in this game, defensively, it was solid enough. Offensively, they couldn't replicate it all throughout the game. The bizarre line of the night, though, was actually came from Toronto, which has something to do with the Hawks, to be sure. But uh, it's kind of in line with their season numbers, but not quite, because this is a super outlier. So the Raptors were 18 of 36 on threes. That is 50%. That is outlier good. It's not crazy in terms of attempts, but they made a bunch of shots. Um, some of them were open, for sure, but especially a few by Trent and a few by Anna, uh, not Ananobi, a few by Van Vliet were contested. So kudos to them, tip your cap, all that stuff. But they were ten. They, sorry, they were twenty of sixty-three on twos. So the Raptors took twenty-seven more shots from two than from three, and they made two more shots from two than three. They shot thirty-one point seven percent on twos. To give you a baseline here, the worst teams in the league on twos shoot something like forty-nine percent, forty-eight percent. Like the Raptors coming into the game. We're 27th in the league. That's fourth worst in the league on twos, and they average 49.6% on twos. It is impossible to shoot 32% on twos, <laughs> and they did it, and they won. That's uh, So, obviously, they're really bad at two-point shooting. Usually, Van Vliet's like the poster child for that. Van Vliet's a very bad two-point shooter. It's a great three-point shooter, but this is super outlier but on, all, on all sides. Three-point shooting, two-point shooting, etc. Ended up being enough for Toronto, but still. As I said before, Hawks did a good job on the defensive glass. That's actually key against Toronto. And if I uh, was worried about one thing in this game defensively, that was probably going to be it. But they did a good job there. Um, but they only forced eight turnovers. Now, the Hawks are not the best team in terms of forcing turnovers. In fact, they're usually like bottom five in the league in that. They're not a very aggressive defensive team. But you got to force more than that against Toronto. And you cannot lose a turnover battle that badly. The Raptors took eight more shots than the Hawks did. That's usually not a good thing. And also one more free throw. So... Um, just nuts and bolts, like if you t if you attempt eight fewer shots than your opponent, you're just kind of digging your own grave there, which is why I said before the real loss for the Hawks in this game was on the peripheral. It was not shooting because the Hawks, you know, to lose a game by six when you have a better true shooting percentage, that means that you lost on the margins because fundamentally, fundamentally just point per possession-wise, the Hawks, when they attempted a shot from anywhere, whether it be two-point range, three-point range, free-throw range, they had a better shooting percentage Overall, than the Raptors, but they lost because they lost in the margins. Okay, um, from there, we'll get into the player observations now. Um, I know I said it before, but my last thought before we get into player stuff is that this is a loss that is frustrating to watch in the moment, and that the Hawks led this game by a solid margin at one point and let it go, get away from them. But overall, it's not a disastrous loss. Like you lost by six in a game that you were favored to lose by three in terms of in terms of the point spread at bound line. So that is what it is. Okay, to the players. Um, nine guys played. 
Uh, there was there was no there was no garbage time, so it was actually nine guys that played in this game. Uh, you know, just the normal ten minus Trey. Lou played the least at 19 minutes, but actually thought played well. Seven points, six, six assists, three rebounds. He continues to be uh, much, much better and much, much different since he returned from his uh, rotation exile a couple weeks ago. Um, I've done it before on this podcast, but if you're a new listener, if you mark the season kind of in half right now, uh, at least the first half of the season and then the last couple of, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten games for Lou is night and day. I don't know if, he, if, I don't know if it's sustainable, but he's been way better, and that happened again in this spot. Um, Gallinari... After a huge stretch, he was not great on Sunday. He was not great at all tonight either. Seven points, three rebounds, two assists. Not terribly inefficient. You know, seven points on seven shot attempts when you figure in one of five from the floor and four of four from the free throw line. That helps your efficiency. But he was not a huge factor. And then defensively, of course, he's a pretty big minus. So I, th- I think it was a suboptimal game from Gallo overall. Although the Hawks were plus three in his minutes, the bench was, the bench minutes were definitely better than the starter minutes in this game. From there, Akongwu had a nice close in particular, had nine points, nine rebounds, and a block. Um, first half, kind of underwhelming. He's probably the only guy, maybe one of two or three guys max, that played better after halftime than in the first half. But he did have some moments in the second half for sure. Um, I don't think he was quite as good in this game as he was in others in, during this run, but he was still totally solid, and closing with him was fine. It's a good matchup for him overall because Toronto is not big, but they play quickly, and that, that definitely plays to um, Okongwu's strengths on the perimeter, his mobility. He had some nice highlight moments in that fourth quarter. Um, Bogdanovich shot the ball pretty well, 18 points on 16 shots. He was only three, oh, sorry, four of 11 on threes, which is uh, totally fine, and then three of five on two, so you'll take that all day long. Um, four assists, five rebounds, um, no turnovers. I thought he was pretty good on offense. Defensively, not his best work, but I'm still trying to figure out where the new baseline is for Bogdanovich because if you watch tape from Sacramento, you watch tape from the first half of last season, uh, really all, I shouldn't say the first half, from when he was, before he was dragging his leg in the playoffs, let's just say. Um, it was a different guy. He was not great, but he was decent. This year, it's been below average for, for him defensively, for sure. But he had some juice offensively, which they had kind of badly needed in this contest. Uh, we'll save her for the end. He was the uh, standout offensively. DeLon Wright had a bad shooting game at 1 of 7, but also did a lot of DeLon Wright stuff. Had 4 points, um, 7 assists to lead the team, 4 rebounds, 3 steals. Um, did a lot of little stuff, just didn't have his shot in this game. He was, was only 1 of 4 on 2s and 0 of 3 on 3s. Um, it does, you know, even as a, a pretty open DeLon Wright advocate, I think he is very good and does a lot of things well. This does show the limitations of DeLon Wright and something that I've never, I've never said otherwise. Like, DeLon is not a good shot creator for a lead guard. Um, if you're playing him at lead guard, you have to have guys around him that can create shots. And at times, particularly in that third quarter, when you're playing him with Hunter in particular and with Capella, that three, that threesome is tough a little bit on offense. Now, it's the same thing when he's playing with the Kongwu. On the second unit, because he's not the greatest thing, because he's not the greatest like facilitator in the world. But if you're going to play him on the second unit alongside Lou Williams, that gives him a lot more juice. So I think pairing him, you know, they had her to do that a little bit in this game as well. But there are limitations to having Delon have, have to run your offense. I was totally fine with starting Delon. I think that playing Lou 30 minutes is kind of untenable. So this is what they had to do without Trey. But I think that uh, it does kind of remind you that what of what Delon can and can't do. Um, and even as someone who likes DeLon, I think, you know, he, he, he was not the reason why they lost this game. But offensively, you know, breaking news, he is not as good as Trey Young on offense. Uh, we'll leave that there for now. Go, go to Capella. I thought Capella was pretty good in his limited time. Six points, eight, uh, eight rebounds in 23 minutes. 3-4 from the floor. Had a block shot. Had an assist. 
Um, didn't play the entire fourth quarter, which I was okay with. Just a weird matchup for Capella overall, but I thought he played well. In particular, the first half, he had some real defensive flashes. Um, and rebounding-wise, he was uh, their best guy. I mean, him, him and Kong were both good on the glass in this game. And again, that was big for the Hawks overall, just kind of keeping them on the glass. But offensively, uh, not a whole lot to critique either way for Capella. Kind of a quiet night, which is okay. Um, Collins was bad. Uh, you know, I think Collins is really good. He was not good in this game. Six points, seven rebounds. Did have four assists, which is second. Uh, sorry, third most on the team. Uh, had two blocks on the help side, but three of eleven from the floor, zero of four from three. And three point shooting has been a, uh, a swoon for Collins. I don't worry that he's just suddenly like forgot how to shoot. But if you factor in tonight, tonight he was zero of four uh, against the Lakers. He was zero of one, zero of two against Boston, zero of four against Sacramento, zero of one against the uh, Hornets. So in the last five games, he is zero of twelve from three. I don't really care about that. It's a small sample size, and Collins is a 40% three-point shooter. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. 40% three-point shooter for three seasons. So I don't worry about his jump shot, but it's been bad recently. And then it wasn't just that in this game. He was not great offensively on the whole. This is also one of those games that gets people angry at him because he has said that he wants um, you know more touches or whatever it's going to be. And then when Trey's out, you kind of see that he's not going to be the number one throw-it-to-him-get-out-of-the-way guy. And that's something that I, I think Collins is a top 40-ish guy in the league. He's really, really good. But that's not what he is. He's not going to be a guy that you're going to have as your absolute number one option that gets the ball um, and creates for himself. That is a limitation that he has for sure. He has a lot of strengths. That's not one of them. And he also had kind of a, a poorly timed bad game. Um, I will say, though, to kind of offset that, Herter had an outlier good game. So if you want to kind of weigh that out, um, maybe you could say that between Herter and Collins, they kind of had like an average game combined. <laughs> it was just Herter having an awesome game and Collins having a bad game. Anyway, we'll go to Hunter now before we get to Herter. 17 points, 5 rebounds for DeAndre in 33 minutes. Um, he was better in the first half, as most guys were in the second half, than, he, than he was in the second half. He had some, I would say, high-profile blunders down the stretch. Um, again, the, the missed shot at the rim, the 10-footer or so in, in the closing minute, doesn't bother me. He, he, he missed it, though. But a couple of bad defensive breakdowns, which is not what you, know, not what you normally see from, from DeAndre. He's always been a better on-ball guy than off-ball guy defensively, which I think reared its head in this game a little bit as well. He had the bad take foul that they they probably didn't need to do. Um, But, you know, highs and lows. He still has some nice moments, but also he is a limited offensive player at the stage too. Not not in a bad way. He's just better as a third or fourth guy than as a second guy. In this game, he had to be the second perimeter guy um, and really the first guy at times offensively, and he's not really built for that just yet. Uh, Herter was awesome. We have to say that. Obviously, just the shooting alone, but the distributing. He was their best offensive player by a wide margin in this game. 26 points on 12 shots. Um, 9 of 12 from the floor. 5 of 6 from 3, which is excellent, of course, which means 4 of 6 on 2s, which is also good. 3 of 4 at the free throw line. 2 assists, 2 steals, 2 rebounds. Did have 4 turnovers. That's kind of the one um, the one black mark against him in this game, but... He played 39 minutes. He was the only guy who played more than 33, and he definitely earned that kind of going back and forth between the first and second units. I thought Herter was very good. So we'll leave it there now. Um, I guess last thought here. This is one where it's frustrating in that the Hawks were so close and it was so winnable to getting back to 500, having the winning streak continue into a two-day break. But, um, you know, not one to fret about is all I will say on that. Uh, going sort of looking ahead briefly before we get out of here on this Monday into Tuesday. The Hawks do have two days off now before they play again at home, and they've not left home in quite a while. They've not left the city of Atlanta since last Sunday, and they won't again until Friday. But they play, in the, in the meantime, they have a marquee game on Thursday against the Phoenix Suns. That is going to be a very interesting matchup. Um, it helps that the Hawks will have two days off in between. Um, they could be at full strength if Trey is able to return. 
And by the way, that's a TNT game. It's a national TV game because the Suns are a high-profile team. Phoenix is number one in the league right now in, uh, in win-loss record. They've also won 10 games in a row at the time of this podcast. They do play um, on Tuesday against Brooklyn. That's a losable game, obviously, for, for Phoenix. But that's, that's at home, and they will travel across to Atlanta for the game on Thursday. But that's a game that even at home, even if Trey plays, they might be underdogs. Um, which is, there's only a few teams in the league that I think the Hawks would be underdogs to at full strength at home, and Phoenix is probably one of them. Now, they have a, uh, the Suns do have some injuries, though. Um, they've been missing DeAndre Ayton for a while. Jay Crowder's been out for a while. So they've not been at full strength, but they just keep, they keep winning. They've been playing great. So that'll be an interesting test for Atlanta, especially if Trey's able to play. If Trey's not able to play, obviously you're, that's, a, that's a lot tougher. But from there, by the way, the Hawks have a crazy turnaround. They have to go from Atlanta to Toronto on Friday for a rematch with the Raptors. And given the custom situation in Canada, it's easier for an NBA player than it is for someone like me. But uh, it is tough to fly internationally right now. It is also tough to do that on a back-to-back when you've just played at home. Plus, you know, not, not that Toronto is the longest flight in the NBA, but it's still a decently... It's, you're, you're not going to Charlotte, let's just say. So that's a tough turnaround. Now, the two days before that, give the Hawks some uh, extra breathing room. But that's a pretty tough turnaround on, the, on, the, on those games. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll have much more on the podcast um, after both games. But uh, interesting stuff coming up for sure. Also, the deadline looms on Thursday. Sorry, it's next Thursday, the 10th. So we're, you know, a week and a half to go before the deadline. Um, if anything happens, rumor-wise, I will be here to talk about it. I will do at least one show between now and the game on Thursday. I will also say that if you miss anything from the archive, there's a lot of stuff to get into with myself and Andrew Kelly last week with two two-part podcast, um, game recaps, etc. That's all still available for you. So please subscribe to the show. Please tell your friends about the podcast. Again, we'll have at least one show, maybe even two, but probably probably one. We'll see between now and the game on Thursday. And uh, again, one more time, please subscribe to the show. We'll see you next time.